Let us also listen to God's word for us from the gospel this morning, the gospel according to John chapter 2. Gospel according to John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. That well-known story that Dan referred to, the wedding in Cana. Brothers and sisters, let us listen to God's word for us. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars with the, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some, of, some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Please pray with me. O God of revelation, you made your son known at a wedding, a public celebration of love. Celebrate love with us by revealing Jesus in our midst. By the power of the Holy Spirit, quicken our understanding, open our eyes to the hidden and surprising wonders you perform, that we may believe with our minds and trust in our hearts that you alone are Lord of all creation. Through Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In the birth of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, God began a new creation. Thus begins the gospel story which John tells, as Lipped, uh, Lipped pointed out a few Sundays ago. This new creation, brothers and sisters, does not happen in the mountains. It does not happen when God creates new seas or, or land or whatever. But it happens where God's reign takes over human relationships. Where God, so to speak, come and recreates us into the image of God as it was supposed to be in the beginning. And right through his story, John tells us what this new creation is supposed to look like. How people are changed because they believe in the Christ. And now they begin to love each other as brothers and sisters, as a new family of God, with God as Father and Jesus the Christ as our oldest brother. In our reading this morning, Jesus and his disciples made it to a wedding. And this shouldn't surprise us because 
every time that we find Jesus, there were people. People flocked to where Jesus was, and Jesus would seek out people to be with him. And Jesus and his disciples were at this wedding reception. Now, this is not merely a story of what life in old Israel looked like. But this story introduces us to Jesus and to his ministry. This story gives us a glimpse into what new creation looks like. The wedding, brothers and sisters, is in Cana in Galilee, a town whose location is unknown to us today. The names of the bride and the groom and and the family are unknown. And Galilee was in part of the country which was labeled and characterized as a crime-infested area. It was in this part of the country where you would find thieves and and rebels and, of course, Gentiles or non-Jews. We read in some of the literature that King Herod cleared the area of outlaws twice during his reign. But it was in this lawless country that Jesus made his adult home. This is where Jesus lived. And it was among unknown people that Jesus performed his first miracle, a sign that God is indeed busy with a new creation. And I don't know you, but maybe I just, I felt just a little disappointed with this story. Maybe I thought we would understand God's reign better. Maybe it would be easier to digest if the reign of God became clear with the story of how Jesus called a prayer meeting, how Jesus had a worship service and preached with authority, and how a huge crowd gathered for worship. And many people decided to follow Jesus. Or maybe I thought it would be for our minds easier to understand God's kingdom if Jesus called down fire from heaven to subdue the people and to get them to worship him. But apparently John was thinking differently. John uses different symbols to explain God's reign. He's talking about a cheerful wedding about six Jewish ritual jars or pots. He tells us about thirsty wedding guests and an abundance of wine. Now, in a sense, we have heard enough about God's reign by now to know that it's often compared to a wedding feast. That it is like a reception where all God's people will celebrate the lamb and will be together at the table of the lamb. And John links this first sign which Jesus performed to this well-known image of a wedding. Now in John, miracles, and there are seven of them that he tells us about, miracles are signs, signs that God's kingdom is continuing, that God is, is busy in Christ to recreate. At this wedding where the wine ran out, And wine was in Israel not merely something enjoyed socially to make people relaxed and happy and talkative. 
but it was a sign of the harvest of God's abundance of joy and gladness and hospitality. And so at this wedding, where Jesus performed his first sign, the wine ran out. And I hope you know that how Jesus somewhat reluctantly begins his ministry by showing that he can use the old, maybe rejected ritual vessels to bring the new life of God's reign to people. The six, uh, the six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification in the story are important. These special stone jars used for religious cleansing purposes were apparently empty. And yet they had to be there because this was what was prescribed by the law. Jars with water so that people could wash themselves. But in their own way, the empty stone jars tell a story of, of religion done as a routine, as observing a ritual of purity which meant nothing in the end. They point, brothers and sisters, to the emptiness of the traditional religious practices of the people. People who lost all their joy and to whom religion became a burden. So what are the things that are here at Mount Pleasant that points to a religion with little effect on the lives of people? Where do we experience the emptiness which drives us to go and look for something else? What do we believe and do that could easily be left out because it doesn't change our relationship with God and each other. Because it doesn't change our relationship with the way that we treat each other. With our witness that we are disciples of the winemaker. You remember that Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples. Not by your programs or your successes but by the love you show for each other. To me, it's interesting that Jesus didn't order the servants to bring new stone jars. Well, that he miraculously created fresh containers of wine. I even noted earlier that uh, Dan was a little hesitant to have two wine bottles here. I would love it if you could change water into wine convince us of this story. <laughs> but Jesus, brothers and sisters, didn't order new stone jars or miraculously created fresh containers, bottles of wine. He used the existing and perhaps abandoned ritual water jars for a new and radical purpose. In a way, Jesus recreated them to be wine bottles, to be containers full of wine, and so Jesus fulfilled the true purpose of these ritual pots, namely to bring joy and happiness to people who participated in cleansing themselves, in drinking wine, in celebrating God's love for them. The eschatological wine, the wine that marked God's final reign, is a rich symbol 
in the biblical tradition. It implies that mere grape juice has been changed into something with potential. And just in a sidebar, that's what I have against our grape juice at communion. I believe it must be wine because it testifies to this new potential that God has for every one of us. And the volume, 120 to 180 gallons of wine for people who had already finished all the available wine, who most likely was just a little bit drunk already, that testifies to God's abundance, good times, and prosperity in God's reign. Changing the water in the jars into the best wine became a metaphor of the ministry of Jesus as he brings new vitality to a stale religion. New vitality to a stale religion, brothers and sisters, a religion where people were so used going through the motions that it lost its power to bring about any change among the people. And it's always interesting to me that we refer to Jesus not as the winemaker, because wine in the Presbyterian church doesn't work. At home it's good. Which makes me wonder, if we here at Mount Pleasant have tasted the best wine yet, or do we miss the party all along? Do we miss the celebration, this joyous feast of the Lamb of God? because we are so full of critique. Listen how he spoke to his mother. Look at the flood of wine and all the drunk people here. I often wonder whether Jesus might just reach a point where he will altogether leave the old ritual vessels, the old churches who, who forgot about joy and happiness and celebration the church that we love so much and leave the empty jars behind and create something new. You see, John has some more, some clearer indications of the meaning of this first miracle. This sign of God's reign in the world, it has to do with John telling us that the wedding was on the third day. Which third day? Maybe this has to do with the, with the timeline of the story. But personally, I think that John ties this to another third day. A third day that we will celebrate very soon this year. I think John refers to the Easter story. The Easter story when this celebration, this wedding will be affirmed in the rising of the Christ, in the empty grave, in the living Christ. The mother of Jesus, who is not named in the story, is present with Jesus and the disciples at the wedding. The next time she's present in the story is at the cross, where John tells where Jesus tells John to take care of her. Jesus, in our story, responded to a report that there is not more wine by saying, my hour has not yet come. Now, this statement is used 
by Jesus in the gospel story of John as he prepares for his death until finally in John chapter 17 verse 1 Jesus admits that this hour has come. John wants us to remember this. Wants us to remember it, brothers and sisters, when we are together, that we are together by the grace of God, the overflowing grace that's affirmed in the death of the Christ, affirmed in the resurrection on the third day, affirmed in new life. Wants us to remember how this new creation, which is called Christian Church, which is called Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, how this abundance of life and joy has come into being. Throughout his ministry, throughout his life, Jesus of Nazareth celebrated people in their relationships. People getting married, people being baptized, people being healed of disease and deformity, people enjoying meals together. This Jesus carried a spirit of celebration with him wherever he went as he proclaimed the God of mercy and the God of peace and joy. This Jesus, brothers and sisters, believed that it was worth a miracle to keep a party going. Believed that it was worth it to give his life to keep our party going. A joyful feast at Cana, yes. An abundance of good wine, a little late. And I still marvel at the fact that it wasn't a prayer meeting. But this remains a sign to us that we should continue to be joyful as we toast the world with amazingly good news of grace. In this first sign that God's reign is a reality, Emmanuel empowers a body empowers a celebration. And we followers of that winemaker can continue the party we call Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. We should continue our celebrations because we know who is the heart of this party, who is the life of this celebration. We have seen how grace overflows in abundance. Amen.